dismantling racism in our time, in our churches, and in our society. With Dr. Betty Hart, the author of By the Light of the Moon, a spiritual memoir on episode number six of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. What I find about bias is that bias comes from a fear, and a fear that leads people to want not to know things. And, and in not knowing those things, then they can't be held accountable for them. And so if you say, for example, these people are prone to crime and they come into your neighborhood, of course you don't want them there. You know, so, so you, you maintain this bias, or I would say a lie, that says, you know, this person's coming to my neighborhood, he's going to do me harm. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Bishop Tremble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Tremble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church, with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Hello, good people. Welcome to the Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julia Tremble. Bishop Tremble has a mission to help people to be encouraged and to reach their highest potential. Bishop, welcome to our episode of our podcast today. Hey, Brad, it's good to be here. And this is the day the Lord has made, so we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. And one of the things we are rejoicing about here today, Bishop, is we do have a, an incredibly special and gifted guest with us today, and I will just let you take uh, the opportunity to introduce our guest and to help get us started. Well, I, I'm pleased to, to welcome Dr. Betty Hart uh, of the United Methodist Church. Uh, uh, she's a retired professor, and I'll let her tell you a little bit about it. I think you retired, was it from Southern uh, Indiana University? Uh, she's taught high school, uh, uh, college. Uh, she's uh, an expert on many things, uh, but I consider her also a friend, a mentor. And she's also been working with the Indiana Conference, United Methodist Church, in our efforts to uh, dismantle racism, our, our in against racism work that we are doing uh, that really was initiated by a resolution uh, a couple of years ago now at our annual conference. But Dr. Hart has worked with uh, local congregations. She's a lay person, but she's also done speaking and uh, preaching at some of our local churches. Uh, and I'll let uh, Dr. Hart say a little bit about herself and, and about 
her family. I know I know sometimes uh, she gets called to do grandma duties and she has to leave the state of Indiana. But thanks, thanks be to God for Zoom uh, and technology, where even when she's not in Indiana, we can continue to do work on behalf of Jesus Christ in the United Methodist Church. Dr. Hart, say a little more about what you'd like folks to know about well, you. Well, I am a native West Virginian and the Yankees fan. <laughs> All right. I um, I retired about three years ago. Well, actually now it's five years ago from the University of Southern Indiana um, as a full professor. And I was their first African-American full professor. And while I was there, I introduced courses on cultural studies. One of the most popular courses was Racism in America. And in preparation for teaching those courses, I had the pleasure of doing a lot of research and studying. And so I'm pretty well versed on various cultures here in the United States and some of the issues and problems that, that they've incurred over the years. Um, I moved to Indiana in 1990 and I taught high school for a while. I have three wonderful kids. I'm, I, I give God the credit for, for making them turn out okay. Haven't been to a jail or a trial or anything like that yet. Um, they're just That's always a plus. They're yeah. very, yes, they're very loving. And I have three grandkids um, who are also just, just wonderful kids. I enjoy every moment with them and consider one of my, one of my rewards for being a good Methodist, I guess. Um, but I do have to go out. One of them lives in New York, another lives in Florida, and another one's in Georgia. And it's that Georgia crew that's trying to get me to move down to Georgia. They, their, their advertisement is no snow, you know. <laughs> but when I retired, I, I thought about how much time I put into preparations for the work that I did over those years. And I thought, okay, so I'm retiring from that. What can I do next? And what I thought was, I love church and, and I love the people of church. And so I thought, well, with these years that I have remaining, what I want to do is to work for my church. And I want to, I want to put a 100% effort in it. Um, a lesson that we're going to have at a later meeting today is that, that being a Christian is all about being in love and out love within and without. Mm. And that's how I have approached my relationship with God and my relationship with my fellow members of, of the church. Thank you, Dr. Hart. How do you remain uh, hopeful, especially when you're doing work around, uh, we're talking about racism and, and, its, and its persistence in our society. And yet you, you've always, I've always experienced you as a hopeful person. You don't approach this work or the conversations uh, that for some can be uh, difficult and, and, and critical for all of us, but you seem to approach it from the standpoint of, of uh, a sense of hopefulness. Is that is that because of your Christian uh, values? Christian values, but also teaching experience. You can't, you can't go in a classroom without the hope that somehow you're going to make a difference in how people think and what people know. And as a Christian, knowing that all things are possible through God, I know that those people who may not be where we want them to be in terms of their ability to love and accept others, I think it, I think that they can be reached. Um, and I, it may not be the degree, I mean, you know, that we may, we may perceive, in other words, we may not have, you know, just a room full of Pentecostically happy people, but we can have people who are willing to work toward that. And that's what gives me hope. 
So, so the uh, one of the books I'm reading is called Biased. I don't know if you're familiar with the book by Jennifer Eberhardt, and she really talks about some of the science related to how we we all have biases and how uh, how black people have been basically uh, for years. You know, there was this whole notion of scientific racism. People have used theological, biblical racism. You know, trying to say you know black people are cursed. From, from the standpoint of the Bible or scientifically, you had you had what who were quoted respected scientists, you know, who came up with theories around the size of skull and, you know, that therefore, you know, uh, the black people were inferior, inherently inferior biologically. Now that's that's been disproven, but somehow the vestiges of some of this, some of this have have stained our cultural and historical understanding too, where people still, still even consciously or unconsciously, still uh, operate out of bias and 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 this notion that some people are of greater worth or greater value than others. What what can you? I know you've been teaching and re- studying about this over the years. Uh, can can you help us understand the, the the nature of all of this? One of the nice things about my life is that I've been able to live in several different places and very different places. And in living in those places, you meet different people and you get to witness other people's values at work in their communities. And what I find about bias is that bias comes from a fear and a fear that leads people to want not to know things and, and in not knowing those things and they can't be held accountable for them. And so if you say, for example, these people are prone to crime and they come into your neighborhood, of course, you don't want them there. You know, so so you you maintain this bias or I would say a lie that says, you know, this person's coming to my neighborhood. He's going to do me harm. Um, I have met people who have been biased to me and to others of my color. And what I ask is, why do you think that? You know, where where did you learn that? Someone asked me if black people can't catch poison ivy. And I asked, well, have you ever been in a poison ivy patch with a black person? And did, did they get poison ivy? Well, I never got poison ivy because I wore tall socks. My sister didn't, and she got poison ivy. You know, so so sometimes it's just a matter, and and in a non-threatening way, because you, you, we don't have to intimidate to get our point across, but in a non-threatening way, challenge them on what they think. You know, uh, ask. You know, make them re- make them responsible for those things. Uh, as I said, as a teacher, particularly in that racism class, I had a lot of people who wanted to say things as absolute truth by their values, and you know, and that that was good. But it, we examine those values in terms of the source of them, and that's how that's how I deal with bias. Sound like you're you're trying to interject reason into these and knowledge in these situations, Doctor Hart. But sometimes we deal with people who are pretty unreasonable <clears throat> and pretty um, their own bias, their own uh, biases color color them in such a way that it is hard to deal with, and it might question is and you know especially in the context of the church and the efforts that we take now are uh, what are some practical steps that we can do yeah you, know, you mentioned a couple there but what are some things that you you know we can uh, impart to people to help them to deal 
with unreasonable people when it comes to issues of uh, racial bias. I pray for them. Uh, Christ tells us to love our enemies and to, to treat them good and to, to tell them you love them. And I don't mind doing that. It, it kind of throws some people off. Um, and what, what you can do is, first of all, you got to have a shield on so you don't get, you know, get stabbed by any kind of remarks or barbs. But on the other hand, if you know who you are and you know you're God's child, you don't need to be bothered by someone else's ignorance. The only bother that that makes to me as a teacher is I want to educate them. And one of the ways to educate them is to show them a different response, a different behavior, a Christ-like behavior, which is tolerance, which is love, which is acceptance. Amen. Amen to that. Can you tell me about CORE uh, in the Indiana Conference? CORE, I, I know some years ago we used to have the ethnic church ethnic local church concerns and different uh, religion and race committees and so forth. And a lot of conferences, uh, when they begin to uh, uh, de decompress or, 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 or deconstruct a lot of the, uh, 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 I think, historical committees that were in the district level, the local church level, you know, like there used to be a time anything that was in the Methodist Book of Discipline had to be at a local church in the district and and so but we have uh, found that it was important to resurrect some work in order for us really to move the needle uh in the united methodist church and across the church but in, in as i work in indiana can you say something about core and 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 its new iteration and also the work that you how you've experienced working with local churches and districts on this work around racial understanding and and dismantling of racism i'm optimistic that that we do make a difference and i'm and i'm optimistic that part of what makes that difference is this connectional nature of, of the methodist church and the fact that we can connect on those issues and so we share a lot of resources um, for example as as a representative of core i speak in other districts and I do workshops in other districts, and, and that's a joy. Um, it started out as Commission on Race and Religion. And as I think about it, it's a redundant to say the Methodist Commission on Race and Religion because we are religion. So I wanted it to be more reflective of the diversity, not just race, because there are many platforms for, for racism and, and prejudice. And so I wanted it to be the Commission on Race and Ethnicity. Um, many groups in this country that are identified as, uh, as culturally different are referred to under racism, but it's ethnicity. And, and that definition gives us a much broader base up, upon which to approach the profile of our membership. Um, we, have, um, we have worked to find representation on our boards, on the board of laity, on the board of ordained ministry, and in various organizations within the annual conference. Um, we are also responsible for having written the covenant, um, and that was that was approved by the cabinet, and it was announced and, and popularized at the June 1921 annual conference. And since then, we've had a good response. Our response could be better, but it's a good response, and it shows that there are many people who are like-minded in their desire to to make things better in this state. One thing I've found in our work is that 
a lot of people are tired of being silent. It, it isn't that they've been racist or prejudiced. They've just been silent. And so now that with the campaign, particularly with, with other backings from other um, justice ministries, uh, diversity and and um, and uh, the, um, can't think of it. But anyway, with those ministries, we have a coalition of people who want to make changes. Another group that, that helps out a great deal are the United Methodist Women. They've been at this a long time, you know, making a difference. They have the charter, for example, that, that's a wonderful instrument that's been approved by the General Conference. So we have, we have a lot of support and we do a lot of work. Um, one of the things we did in uh, January, at the very beginning of January, as per the Book of Discipline, is that we met with a joint meeting of the Board of Ordained Ministry and the Cabinet to assess how their efforts were coming, and to offer whatever help and support we could give them in those efforts. And, and that was a good meeting, and a lot of good things came out of that meeting. The, um, the Commission on Race and Ethnicity uh, has to be different. Times are different. And the concerns 20 or 30 years ago, I'm older than that, 40 years ago, <laughs> <laughs> those issues, they may still be here in some way or another, but but those things and all things tend to metamorphosize over time. And so, so our issues and even our approaches, the political arena in which we necessarily have to operate within, and the situation in our churches with attendance, ages, and so forth, um, all of that plays into what we can expect. One of the issues that I really want to concentrate on this coming year has to do with small churches in rural areas, in areas where there isn't a great deal of diversity. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes uh, congregations may feel, well, this is not our problem because we don't have any diversity. But it's everybody's issue. And, and one way or another, it's going to come back to each person. If nothing else, as they, as they assess their relationship with God and they assess their ability to follow through on Christ's commandment that we make disciples of all people. And so, and so that, that's a focus that I want to look at, particularly since I represent the Southwest District, Evansville, and, and sort of like in the middle of the bottom of the state, where there are a lot of farm families. And these people are not resistant. They just need leadership. And so that's what we want to do is develop leadership and programs that will reach out to some of these smaller rural churches. How do you think, uh, Dr. Hart, your background, you said you come from West Virginia, and I want to shine a light a little bit on the book that you wrote recently called By the Light of the Moon, and it has to do with your experience growing up uh, in West Virginia, which I know, I don't know about the community you come from, but I do know it's a mostly rural state. And, uh, but you did experience your share of growing up in uh, uh, the civil rights movement and so on, this type of thing. But how's your experiences out of that and out of your book then re is reflected now in your work now and what we've talked about in terms of the covenant to do spano racism and the other things you're working on in your teaching career. Tell us a little bit about your background in that regard. Well, West Virginia is a unique place. <laughs> No, I remember during the election, they were talking about there are very few blacks live in West Virginia. And I thought, gosh, I shouldn't have left. You know, made a dent. But um, but it's it's a friendly state. And it's it's interesting because rural in West Virginia, plus coal mining, is not the same as rural in Indiana. You know, we have small farms. We don't have these big 
farm things. But at any rate, I grew up in a community initially that was a kind of an integrated community. We had Black Street over here and White People Street over there. We had a black hospital, white hospital, and so on. But you know, when when you are when you are placed in that context, you don't know that there's another context to compare it to. And so, growing up in that way was just normal. You know, the only thing that happened was when they integrated schools in 1956. My sisters and brothers, who were going to Carter G. Woodson School, which was a black school, and I, as an initial person, had to go to white schools. But I had never been to a black student, black school as a student, so I didn't know about that kind of segregation. Uh, those kinds of changes are going to be uncomfortable and uneasy, and they're going to be fraught with some problems, which there were. But by and large, uh, people were, were trying to make it work because we weren't going to turn around on that. You know, so... So that plus I had two educated parents, two college-educated parents who were educated at a historically black college. And they were big on being smart, being intelligent. And they were big on thinking. And that is thinking in the sense of don't hate this person because he has this color skin or because he's not like you. Don't do that. And they taught us, and I mean, I hope that comes across in the book, that for my family, gender sexual orientation, race, none of that stuff was a good enough bar to bar people from your lives because you're going to meet a lot of interesting people in life. My dad was a postal worker and my mother was a social worker. And, you know, so so they encountered a lot of people and they shared that with us. Um, the book, I named it By the Light of the Moon because I read a devotional one day. And in this devotional, this lady was talking about how the, the moon doesn't really have a light of its own, that its light comes from the sun. And I thought, that's like us. That's like Christians. You know, our light, the light that we're told to let shine, is not our personal light. You know, it's, it's not the things we have done. It's not our accomplishments. It's what Jesus or Christ or God has accomplished in us. And that's what we're supposed to let shine. And so as I thought about it and how blessed I've been throughout my life, I thought, well, okay, so if I write this book and I'm writing all this stuff about this is what I did, this is what, you know, blah, 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 that I need to give the glory to God and I need to let it be God's light that shines. And so so the title of the book, the book was written, though, because all my family died. My mom and dad died. My brothers and sisters, one by one, all four of them died. And I had all these nieces and nephews who were calling me the matriarch which sounds like I'm really old. And so so I, I they didn't know much about their parents. That, that surprised me. So I said, I'll write a book and I'll tell you all about your mom and your dad and uncles and aunts and how it was, how they grew up. And that way you'll have that to share with your children. So I did. And um, I worried a little bit about what they would think. But then I thought, they weren't alive. They don't know. So I can tell it like it is. And my brothers and sisters aren't around to correct me. So I'm in good shape here. One of my nieces said to me, oh, you aired the family dirty laundry. And the question I had for her was, how did it get dirty? <laughs> Who's responsible? But one of, the, one of the things I did was, and I wanted to make sure that I did that, was to the give the foundation of the Bible in the book. So each chapter begins with the Bible verse, I hope appropriately, 
and each chapter has a, a little piece in there. Awesome. Well, there's several threads there and we'll put connections, links to your book by the light of the moon at, uh, at our website, which is to be encouraged.com. Bishop, what do you think about, uh, this whole area of, she mentioned how this, the biblical, uh, message was foundational, what she's shared now. And bring us around a little bit here, Bishop, in terms of the biblical message as it relates to matters of racism. I think education is another element we're talking about here. I know that you've recently written some uh, articles about uh, uh, some of the bills in our uh, throughout the country having to do with the educational you know, process. We have this whole situation going on with the critical race theory being a political football that's uh, being tossed around and, and certainly has racial implications. But I think, I think Dr. Yeah, Dr. Hart really is spot on when she says, really, uh, uh, Jesus said, you know, you, you know the truth or the truth will set you free. So we, we can't be we can't be free if we if we choose to not only build tents, but to build up, uh, build up houses uh, and take up residence on the street of ignorance uh, or the street of fear. Uh, so I think uh, the way uh, Dr. Hart is has led and, and shaped her, both her writing and her teaching from the standpoint of Jesus is our role model. Uh, and in his mission statement, when he reads from the prophet, the book of Isaiah, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor uh, and release to the captives uh, and sight to the blind. The blind, I think, the blind that me and refer to it is the blindness of ignorance, the blindness of of hatred, uh, the blindness of 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 bi- unchallenged bias. Uh, what I what I like most about Dr. Hart is not only her hopeful approach, but her willingness to encourage others to uh, what I you hear heard me say this to take their hand off the mute button. You know the you know one of the one of the things we are, we often find ourselves is is pressing the mute button when we really can make a difference. Uh, we can say, hey, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to sit down with others and learn together. Uh, I, I had a person said uh, testified that they were a history major, but they'd never heard of the Tulsa, uh, the race riots in Oklahoma. Or just yesterday I was preaching and, and I showed a brief clip of, of uh, about Ruby Bridges uh, integrating, uh, you know, first grade, the first black child to integrate elementary school in the South. And people said, you know, people didn't, had never heard of Ruby Bridges. Uh, and so all of these things that people don't know, really, uh, really, uh, and this is February, we're recording this, we're still in the month of February. So uh, Black History Month, and, and Dr. Hart, I thought I heard you say she went to Carter G. Woodson School. So there were schools named after Carter G. Woodson, who uh, started what was Negro History Week uh, before it became Negro before it became Negro History and Black History Month. So I think one of the things that as Christians we really have to embrace this notion that what does it mean for me uh, as a child of God to see others as children of God equal to me of sacred worth. And there is nothing that anyone can say about us that takes away what God has already uh, proclaimed for us to be. 
So I think part of our part of our challenge is is not to succumb to the invitation uh, uh, to buy trouble. I often say we like to buy trouble when it's not on sale, or or by, or by ignorance uh, when it won't do us any good. This whole notion of of for example the, this bill that's been amended, uh, House Bill 1134, is kind of a it's it's really a shrouded in in it. They the, those proponents say. It's just to give guide, more guidance for parents, so parents can have have their you know not not have their children subjected to things that will make them feel bad or feel guilty or or or, or you know feel uncomfortable. And I often say, if if an 11 year old uh, uh, brown skinned girl can go to school and experience racism uh, in real time, then all 11 year old children should be able to learn about the history of America, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we shouldn't we shouldn't just say that some people can experience it, but all of us don't need to learn about the why and the history of it. Uh, we, 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 will, we will fail to get to a better place if we refuse to look at uh, our history uh, and look at it from the standpoint of not just not just the things that we want to celebrate, but also the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, and that way we can say, how can we do better? It's also a failure to l- listen to our actual educators, the professionals of this matter, mm-hmm. people like uh, mm-hmm. like uh, Dr. Hart here and as well. Dr. Hart, uh, one of the things I always like to ask uh, Bishop Tremble uh, towards the ends of our podcast is what is he encouraged about and what is encouraging words that he may have? I want to ask him that in a minute, but I really want to ask you today. Uh, you know, we do live in polarized times. We do live in a time of a lot of tension. Educationally, we've just talked about racially, uh, economically, not even to mention COVID crisis and all that kind of thing. Given all that, as Bishop has mentioned, you are an encouraging presence to others. I can tell that right now. But what are are you encouraged by and what encouraging word do you have to share for the folks who might be listening to our words here today. There's a young girl in my community, a sophomore in high school, no, a junior in high school this year. And she by herself has approached our county council, our city council, and she's gotten people now who are gathered behind her, but she is asking them to put up a memorial for seven people who were hanged here in 1874. Um, and she's met some resistance, but she's also met a lot of support and a lot of people are behind her. I'm encouraged that a young person would have that vision, would have that desire to make things better, to educate people on something awful that happened in the past that we need to learn from, not about, but from. And it makes me very encouraged that our church isn't in big trouble. If we if we can take these young plants and nurture them, throw a little plant food on them from time to time, you know we're going to have a great church for the future. We need to we need to acknowledge, support, and let them know that we're behind them. So that gives me my encouragement. Well, that's awesome to share and to listen and learn from young people is incredible. I know it's not only the case of. You know, you're talking about here, but you know, on ecological issues and uh, economics, all kinds of areas. 
we just need to be better listeners because uh and to our younger people there's some great wisdom there bishop uh how about you i'd really like to kind of bring our conversation around the day with what out of our conversation today has brought you encouragement yourself and what encouraging word you have to share for our listeners here today well i, I i'm always encouraged brad when i'm able to be in conversation with you and people like Dr. Betty Hart, because you're not just talkers, you're also walkers. Uh, and, uh, you know, we don't just, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. The book of James says faith without works is dead. So I, I kind of uh, been hanging on words of the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, when it comes to justice, we can't be neutral. We can't be bystanders. Uh, we don't have to have all the answers, but we've got to be, as you said, Brad, we've got to be willing listeners and willing learners. And also uh, there will be opportunities for us actually to, to be advocates on behalf of others. I like to close with the, uh, good news. Uh, we, I am a Christian minister and we all are Christians on this podcast today and I am a bishop. So what is the good news? Gospel or it's translated evangel. You know, what is evangel? What does gospel mean? The good news is that God has already acted decisively and uniquely in Jesus Christ. That's what Christians believe. We believe actually the victory has already been won uh, on the cross. And Jesus Christ, who, who dealt with our sinful condition through his death on the cross, God has acted to save us by offering us love, grace, forgiveness, acceptance, and new life in Christ. So if we have the opportunity to have new life in Christ, that means we cannot cling to sinful behavior. Racism is not the only sin, but it is a sin because it separates us from our brothers and sisters. It, it divides us also from a, a healthy and holy relationship with God. So what's the good news? The good news is that God's already done God's part. So we just have to do our part. So I praise God for this work that we have been doing and, and how I see hope, as Betty just mentioned, in, in, the, in the lives of young people who find causes which they want to lift up and bless us. And as, as my granddaughter would remind me always to say, make sure you say thank you to all of the people that have blessed you and given you something. So thank you to our listeners today as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I just want to say uh, a big thank you myself to Bishop Julius C. Trimple for being our host here for today for the Be To Be Encouraged podcast and our special guest, who is Dr. Betty Hart, retired from the University of Southern Indiana and the author of By the Light of the Moon. I'll remind you, we'll put a link to that book in our, at our website, tobeencouraged.com. That's also where you can find back episodes of the podcast and connect to other uh, opportunities we have and listen to future guests. We come out every week on the To Be Encouraged podcast. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. It's a pleasure to be with you and blessings upon you. And remember to, uh, as Bishop, uh, Bishop Trimble always likes to say, to be encouraged to reach your highest potential. Blessings. On you. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen to Be Encouraged. 
You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast, where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. And never forget, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it.